Again, if you're watching online, thanks for being with us. Uh, this morning, I have about 20 minutes, and I want to share uh, a devotion with you on this topic. Um, uh, the title of uh, the message this morning is A Life in the Womb. There's three points to the devotional this morning. Uh, the first point is to lay a biblical worldview of, of uh, life in the womb and how the scriptures uh, present that to us. Uh, the second point that I'll cover uh, this morning is how did the early church uh, respond to that biblical witness? And then I want to make a couple general observations from Luke uh, chapter 1 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, find your way to Luke chapter 1. You'll be safe there for a while. And let's begin with uh, a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for uh, the PCC and, Lord, the partnership that 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 we have with them and the great work that they're doing. We pray that you bless them. Uh, for us this morning, as we look at your word, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As I shared in the, the, in the beginning, the first thing that when we come to a topic that we want to address is, what is the biblical undergird to address that topic? And that's really a good lesson uh, to take with us in regards to any topic is first we want to go to God's Word because God's Word reveals to us not only God's nature and character, but it expresses His heart towards humanity, expresses His heart towards the things that we deal with. And when we come to this topic of uh, life in the womb, we, we have to begin in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Genesis 1, 27 says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And so the very basis of life in the womb is a creative act of God, is that God has designed men and women, and God has designed men and women to come together in holy matrimony to have children and raise them up to love the Lord and to flourish in a, in a Christian home. When we look at Genesis 1.27, there's many layers to the application of that, especially for our teenagers and our young people today. And the first kind of layer is that we as Christians want to respect every person regardless of what they believe. Because why? Why do we respect people? Because God has given worth to every person because we are made, imago Dio, we are made in whose image? We are made in God's image. And so to teach our young people to express mutual respect and dignity towards all people really creates that that relational open door where you can have a conversation with someone about the things that they're dealing with and approach that topic or that concern or that difficulty that people are having, not from our own opinion, but from God's heart. Like establishing life begins at the womb, we come to James 3, 9 through 10, which says, James writes, people are made in the likeness of God. Psalm 139, 13, 
You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Jeremiah 1.5, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And Isaiah 49, 1 and 5 says, The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He who formed me from the womb. And so what we can look at is, is a biblical worldview that gives us an understanding of God's heart and his nature and his sovereignty is that when he formed you in your mother's womb, he knew your end from the beginning. He knows the number of your days. He knows the number of hairs on your head or the lack thereof. He knows who you are, and he loves you. And he has good works, as Ephesians tells us, prepared when? Be before the foundation of the earth. And so God knows who he has created. He knows you by name. How did the early church, second point this morning, how did the early church respond to that biblical truth? What was the witness of the early church? And so there's two documents that we could look at. The first document is called the Didache. It was crafted or written after about 100 AD. And it's really a manual for church life. How do you do church? And if you want to see post-apostolic uh, kind of manual on church life, you can go online, you can Google it, you can read a translation of it. And uh, I would hope when you read the translation of the Didache, you say, wow, our church is kind of organized right along those lines. You know that they're preaching God's word, they're worshiping, they're baptizing those who come to faith in Christ. Here's what the post-apostolic leadership of the church had to say about the topic that's before us this morning. Quote, You shall do no murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not corrupt boys. Because in, in the Roman world, young boys were groomed towards homosexual activity. You shall not corrupt boys. You shall not commit fornication. You shall not steal you shall not deal in magic. You shall do no sorcery. Kind of like put Salem Mass out of business about that point. You shall not murder a child by abortion, nor kill them when they're born. Tertullian writes this. He was, uh, say, uh, the first, quote, Latin theologian. He was from Africa, talking about 150, 200 A.D., around there. Tertullian says this about the early church, quote, Christians sought out, Christians sought out the tiny bodies of newborn babes from the refuge, refuse, and dung heaps, and they raised them as their own, or tended to them before they died, or gave them a decent burial. If you go to, once again, say, churchhistory.org, and you Google that, what you would find is a number of different uh, pictures from the catacombs. And in the catacombs, you'd see all these little tiny coffins. And what the early Christians would do is when, quote, babies were 
exposed, the Christians would come and rescue them. And if they were able to be nursed back to health, kept them and raised them as their own. And if they died, they would give them an honorable and decent and Christian burial. So the early church was committed to honoring God's creation that life begins in the womb at conception. And they put their resources and their heart behind it. And what was the outcome of that? They became people of influence. And they changed hearts. And they changed a culture. And they turned the world upside down. Not by rhetoric, but by agape by love and service to the culture of their day. Lastly, this morning, if we looked at Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1 is one of those uh, passages that we look at, I think, just about at every Advent season, Christmas season. And there's two women in Luke chapter 1 that help us understand not only the scriptural basis for life begins at the womb, not only how the early church responded to that biblical witness, but how we see two real-life examples and, what, and, and uh, can encourage ourselves in these truths. Who are those two ladies? Anybody? Well, Mary, you got the, that one was easy. Who's the other one? Elizabeth, yeah. And so we pick up the story a little bit in Luke chapter 1, Verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He had a wife uh, from daughters of Aaron, and, the, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled. That's probably a great understatement. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, who's John the Baptist. So many layers to the story here. We cover them every year at Christmas time. One of the layers is, is that we don't hear, we don't have a record, nothing's recorded about Zechariah's prayer. It was a prayer that he had where? In, in his heart. And the Lord heard the prayer that was in his heart that his wife Elizabeth was barren. And the Lord sent a messenger and said, I have heard your prayer and Elizabeth will be with child. Now, you go through Luke chapter 1, the, it seems like the angels are appearing everywhere. It's like they're working overtime. 
we could use a little of that nowadays, I think. But that's off topic. He comes to Elizabeth, and he fills Elizabeth with his spirit. Elizabeth, in that spiritual moment, says, my child leaps for joy. How did that happen? Well, Mary comes, right? Mary finds out she's pregnant. So what does she do? She makes haste to go talk to who? Elizabeth. And she's, and she's coming up to Elizabeth, and, she, and as soon as the words come out of her mouth, what happens to Elizabeth? I've already told you. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, and she says, interprets for us what happened with John in the womb. He le- he, that's absolutely right, and he leapt for joy. If you've ever had a spouse who's pregnant, you know those babies dance inside the womb, don't you? You put your hand on there, and the baby's kicking and going forth. I used to speak, I used to speak to Rebecca and Timothy. Hello, hello, and there, this is Dad. I know you're hearing your mother's voice all the time, Danny, but this is me. And then they come out of the womb, and they recognize you, and they run. No. It's an amazing thing to have a baby. It's an amazing thing to see in a live birth. It changes everything. You have one and you say, oh, I just, I just love this baby. And then you have another and what happens? Your heart gets bigger and you love that one just the same. Then you have grandchildren and you say, oh, I love you so much more than... than There's two things I call your attention to out of Luke chapter 1. The first is the word brephos. Brephos is uh, the word for baby. Take note of this. Luke uses brephos, the word for baby, to describe John the Baptist who is where? In the womb. Then we come to Luke chapter 2, and he uses that same word to describe a baby who's in a manger, the same exact word. See, the early church understood this simple truth, that whether in the womb or out of the womb, the person is not yet fully an adult, but is absolutely a person in his or her own right. The second thing I'd call your attention to from the text is that John the Baptist when he heard now I don't know this for a fact so you can't quote me on this they'll black out the live stream because I'll probably get censored by Facebook and YouTube but do you think that baby Jesus in the womb and John the Baptist in the womb do you think they had a connection and John just said oh He's here. No, I don't think so either. (laughs) But the point is, is that John the Baptist had joy in his heart. And when we look at the technology today and ultrasound, and that we look at that that eight-week mark where the baby's sucking 
his or her thumb, and all the bodily functions are in operation. It's absolutely an astounding miracle. See, the biblical witness is God created and God created in the womb. The witness of the early church is to rescue. The witness of the early church is not to promote death, but to promote life. And the witness out of Luke is we see that personhood of the individual within the womb being just as valued whether they're in the womb or out of the womb. Now, how do we apply this to our life and bringing some closure here? Well, we certainly had an expression of that. Some of you might be called to volunteer at the PCC, and I think it's definitely a calling just like any other ministry is. And I would encourage you in that, that if God has put that ministry on your heart, uh, that you have courage. And I know they're good people, so they'll match the task with your courage. And maybe at the beginning it's just gathering clothes or doing some fundraisers. And maybe God would grow your heart to really engage these young women who are in a desperate place. I pray that could happen in your heart and your life. I would be amiss if I didn't say November 8th is coming. And um, not to be too political, or I'll get in trouble, but uh, this got a gasp at um, the 8.30, so if you want to gasp, you can, you can do this. You can do that. But I really appreciate our president. And I appreciate him in this light, is that he does what he says he will do. Yes. If you remember his promises that he made during his campaign for president, he said he'd do a few things, right? He's done them. He's kept his word. He said that he would do under the oil industry and fracking and all of that. Did he do that? Yes. He's made some promises about this topic, about abortion. He's made those promises. Do you think that he'll carry through? Yeah. He will try. And then there's November 8th. And I would urge you to have courage. I would urge you to stand up and be a biblical, Christ-centered Christian. Be a Christian that bases their decisions on the Word of God. Let the early church bring you courage and let the witness of Luke make your resolve like steel. Amen? Amen. We're going to close our service by celebrating the Lord's table this morning.